listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here this week with another one of our series of interviews with people who I think are giving really interesting and, and valuable takes on all of the UFO stuff going on in the modern era here. So uh, today we're joined by Mick West. Uh, Mick, how's it going? Doing good. Good, good to be here, Chris. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, you are. This is your second time on the show, actually, which is pretty exciting. You were one of the first yeah. interviews we did. And I got to say, I think I've gotten a smidgen better at interviewing since then. But we will see, I guess. We will. <laughs> so uh, for those that don't know, Mick is a uh, uh, well, your Twitter bio, I think, says it all right. So debunker, skeptic, writer, podcaster, uh, creator of Contrail Science, Metabunk and the new podcast Tales from the Rabbit Hole. Um, which has been a really fun listen so far. You've uh, you've made it onto my kind of regular rotation of. Uh, I play podcasts primarily while I'm playing video games, huh. <laughs> and so you've been a kind of a nice backdrop to the sounds from the outer worlds, um, which has been what we've been playing recently. That's great. Yeah, I have quite a variety of people on my podcast, so I think there's probably something for everyone. But you might not like every episode. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really interesting, actually. Your one of the more recent ones with uh, was with UFO Jesus, which I oh, haven't yeah. I haven't listened to yet. But how did you find? Um, I, it's so funny. I don't even know his real name, so I'm just going to say Jesus. How did you find Jesus to be? <laughs> <laughs> I, Jesus Jesus found me. Uh, basically, I, it was on Twitter. You know, we were just having some back and forth discussion about UFOs and things. And he's a very you know, he's a UFO evangelist. Event, essentially, he really is. Uh, you know, promoting the uh, the word of disclosure. And he wants uh, he wants more people to you know come over to the side of disclosure. But I tend to think that the things that he is saying are not quite uh, as compelling as he makes them out to be. And so we had our discussions and decided to uh, have a little debate on uh, on my podcast. We actually have a bet going where if uh, some world leader does not admit that UFOs are real in the next five years, uh, then uh, I get twenty dollars. And vice versa, oh. if they if they do, so nice. Fingers oh, crossed. So <laughs> yeah, seriously, fingers crossed. We'll see. I guess I think history might be on your side. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Um, so actually, that that kind of brings us to a nice a nice starting point, I guess. So disclosure, like you said, is really has really started to take on the tenor almost of I think evangelism, and it's an interesting thing because you know the people have people have made the connection between the UFO subculture and kind of religiousness or a, I don't know about a lack of religiousness in, in uh, modern kind of, let's say America or the West, but you know, kind of it as a, as a catch all or kind of a place where people can put their spiritual ideas, quote unquote, without it having to be defined by some religion or some, you know, there's no Pope of ufology. There's no, you know, ordained minister or anything like that yet. To the Stars Academy has almost taken up that mantle in a weird way. And with that mantle of, of having a pretty solid, solid, a relatively um, consistent story, I guess, or a consistent set of beliefs, now we're starting to have evangelism in a weird way. Why do you mm -hmm. think it's – why do you think it's happening now or do you think – do you see parallels to the history of the field? Yeah, well, I think people do like to have uh... – some kind of belief in something like a higher power, I guess. And I think they like to have belief in some kind of authority. Uh, so when you, when you look at uh, the, to the stars Academy, they've got a bunch of people who have impressive sounding titles 
like you know the assistant secretary for uh, defense intelligence and things like that and you're the former head of the aa tip program and uh former guitarist from blink 182 but uh you have these these group of people that have become in a way the kind of like the like the church uh you've got the pope at the top of the church and now you've got (laughs) i wouldn't say tom DeLonge is the pope but you do actually have this kind of uh hierarchy of people who are, are giving out information, which I think to a certain extent we didn't really have before. We had all these kind of voices crying out in the wilderness and we didn't have this, this very, very good, um, this, this focus focal point that the, uh, uh, you know, the media and everybody else could, could like point to and say, you know, this is the, the people who are doing UFOlogy now. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, it, it is it's kind of a new thing, a new kind of world that we're entering into. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting – one of the parts of this that's been so interesting for us on the show, and it's one of the reasons why we've, we chose to do the Bigelow series when we did, is that a lot of the players are people from the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like um, – I mean, you know, again, kind of following that same like religious example, right? Um, you know, imagine if uh, – I mean, I don't even know. Someone at the beginning of – I don't know. There's a new a new branch of church or something, a new branch of this kind of religious feeling or religious fervor, and you have you know a televangelist come out and say, "No, yes. I'm on this. I'm on this team now." And you know, uh, for some reason that that suddenly has changed people's opinions of this person. Well, it, it's seems. kind of like a almost like a superstar thing, like a like a wrestling uh, team yeah. of, of people. Like they they some. <laughs> organizer with his finger on the pulse of what the American public wants is figure out that if I get to, to, you know, to get the rock and I get, you know, the, the undertaker and I get these other people and put them all together, then we'll have like, you know, the superstars of wrestling. That's kind of what you've got with to the stars. You've got these, these people who are, you know, famous in their own right, like Tom DeLonge. And then you've got like people like, uh, like Harold Putoff who are like from the old days. Uh, and then you've got these, these new people like, uh, like Elizondo and justice and, um, and the other people, Mellon, uh, who are who have some other kind of authority, and so you've got this blend of people who are all quite, you know, they're accomplished in their own fields, and they come together, and it kind of gives you this critical mass uh, of perceived authority. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I like that we on our series we call them the Justice League of sort of science. <laughs> um, you know, it's a it is a kind of a coming together of people who. Yeah have this kind of background in these in these odd fields the one thing that's been kind of interesting as well i think for people finding out is that the history of the government specifically the united states government funding kind of you know wacky science Mm -hmm. um is long and storied you know it's one of the one of the beautiful and also kind of terrifying i think things about democracies that the people we put in charge of giving funding or authority to projects don't have to be all that knowledgeable about the underlying uh-huh. ideas, <laughs> you know, so we can have projects like, uh, you know, remote viewing tests or psychic spy programs or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah I was thinking about this before I came on, uh, this, this, this precise thing, you know, you're going back to the men who stare at goats mm-hmm. uh, type thing. Uh, which was this remote viewing program of trying to kill goats by staring at them. Uh, and yeah, it struck me that the the military is actually a very open-minded organization. You kind of think of it as this being this big institution and very slow. 
but they're actually a very forward-thinking organization in that they are trying to figure out, you know, how can we, how can we still be on top in 20 years' time and how can we still be on top in 50 years' time? And they do a lot of this kind of very speculative stuff. Now, some of it obviously veers into the ridiculous, like you know, trying to kill goats by staring at them. But uh, a lot of it is is kind of long term plausible stuff, and I think it's actually it's actually a good idea for them to be doing stuff like investigating things like alternative propulsion technologies, like warp drives and whatnot. You know, sure, it sounds kind of scientifically ridiculous and a bit out there, but you know, twenty years down the line, thirty years down the t- the line, something new is going to come along, and so you have to kind of take this kind of scattershot approach. Uh, to your research and just like you know kind of throw money in all kinds of different random directions and most of it won't pan out most of it will be just you know dead ends but perhaps you will hit something so uh yeah, yeah i can kind of see why they do do things like this absolutely it 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 reminds me actually a lot of those i'm sure you've seen them you know and had people bring them up to you and everything else those patents that come out of i think the oh, guy's yeah. name is pious right he seems to be one of these kind of uh He's a an employee of the of the military of government labs, I guess I should say. It seems whose main publications all relate to kind of wacky future or seemingly wacky future stuff, you know. Yeah. But then when you read the patents with a critical eye and really take the time to dig into them, you know, it's stuff that it's stuff that seems it's you know it's scientific enough that it's patentable. Right. But it's not so specific. I mean, it's just like all patents that you're told to write when you're in industry or when you're in a lab or whatever. You want to write patents that are specific enough that you protect your IP, but are also vague enough that if uh, someone comes up with something similar or, on the other hand, you come up with an extension of the patent, that you're able to get that patent extension. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting that these are, you know, the thing that I've likened it to is, you know, uh, I don't know, 20 years before, um, you know, the kind of technology for a TV screen was developed, you could have envisioned something where, well, there'll be a a screen where images are duplicated, you know what I mean, from some kind of device somewhere else. You could have come up with that and it would have seemed far out and, and way ahead of its time and everything else. But you didn't mention any of the specifics. <laughs> you didn't have a schematic for how this would draw or how this would work and, and how it would transmit images and things of that nature. You just kind of had the general idea. And that's a, a, the way that a lot of these patents kind of read is they're very, you know, uh, yeah, we're going to have a warp drive. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, great. <laughs> cool. I can't wait till we have one. And then your patent will be true by definition. Um, yeah. Well, I think you've got to think about why the why the army, why the military wants to patent things like this. I mean, it's not like they are this big uh, you know, industry who's producing things and selling them to other people. Uh, they they kind of want to do it in a way to save money in the long term. It's mm-hmm. just kind of a default uh, procedure. Like if you think of something that you might want to have in the future, like a warp drive, then you patent warp drives. Then when someone comes along and invents a warp drive, you don't have to pay them so much because you already own some of the underlying patents. <laughs> right, you can it. fight them in so court. It's, it's, it, yeah, it doesn't mean they've necessarily actually invented uh, the warp drive. It's that they, they've just, you know, they've invented the idea of a warp drive and so mm-hmm. someone can't later come along and claim like, you know, well, you owe us a billion dollars for every spaceship that you make. They can just go ahead and make their own spaceships. 
one of the aspects of this that I think has been really, and in the same, in the same vein, I guess, of what you're talking about here and uh, of, you know, the military being pretty forward thinking is that one of the aspects of this agreement, I guess, that they have with To the Stars Academy, you know, really does essentially say if To the Stars Academy has, you know, we're, yeah, we're partnering with them in the potentiality that in the future they get a material that is tested and verified at some lab, you know? So it's kind of, mm-hmm. if you, again, if you read the kind of notes on the CRADA itself for, you know, this, this cooperative research and development agreement, um, it's behind all these layers of like, you know, we are going to work with them in the future if they do A, B, and C, but A, B, and C are increased, you know, are extremely unlikely um, to occur. It It's odd though to me that the military would come out and be so, I guess, vocal in their support. Yeah. What, what do you think is behind that? I think what's behind it is uh, True Clear Global. I think okay. that's the underlying thing here. That's the connection. Yeah, True Clear, True Clear Global is this company that makes kind of advertising products, which are basically just uh, projectors and screens where they project like images onto the sides of buildings and things like that. And they have they developed some nice coatings that they use that are, are, are make good screens. Uh, probably things for rear projection and things like that as well. And the army wants to use that type of thing for active camouflage, mm-hmm. where like a you know a tank can set up in a desert and just project an image of a building behind it onto a screen, uh, and it looks like the tank's invisible. So that would be active camouflage. So they they know that True Clear has some technology that they want to to access, and uh, they've kind of figured out that the way to do it is to go through to TSA. Uh, and, you know, to the Stars Academy, a few months ago, they kind of signed up with some kind of merger slash agreement with TrueClear True Global. And it wasn't really clear at the time what that was about. You know, why would they do that? Mm-hmm. And so I think what's really going on here is kind of a longer term thing that started back then when they knew that they would be able to get some kind of military connection. You know, you've got people like uh, Luis Elizondo, who still has contacts in the military. So you get people like making connections from one person to another person. And they, they, they set up this thing where the army is interested in active camouflage for their vehicles. Now, if you look at the the CRADA agreement, it's it's all about uh, ground transportation. Mm-hmm. It's not about spaceships. It's about ground transportation. So it's really mostly, I think, uh, about camouflaging trucks and tanks. And they to the Stars Academy, because they are interested in promoting the whole UFO thing, they tax on all this other stuff. And the army thought, yeah, well, you know, what the heck? You know, maybe we may as well uh, look into their strange materials as well. Right, you know, if they have something, something come up. if they have something, yeah. why not? And yeah. also I think, yeah. you know, it's actually, it actually is kind of an interesting thing too. From the military's perspective, you can think, well, you know, if they're, if they're actually being given samples of stuff, that people are claiming came from ships that they didn't know what they were. Maybe it's mm. a piece of a ship from China. You know, maybe it's yeah. maybe it's a Russian ship. Maybe it's uh, you maybe know, it's an American ship. Maybe, maybe it's, an, it's exactly a, a secret uh, a secret research plane that a bit fell off one day and they want to get it back. Absolutely. You know, I, I think it is though. It, I think it is though an interesting thought that when this crowd came out and when true when True Clear first became part of 
kind of this this group with not really group, but you know, this agreement with the Stars Academy that the true believers view was, well, to the Stars Academy must have interesting materials then, because why would True Clear, this company that uses materials for um, hmm. you know, image projection or whatever, why would they get involved? Not a lot of people have made the the other possible argument, which is True Clear has the materials. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that you know, to the Stars Academy needs to get this army agreement. Yeah, I think Truclear has just some nice, nice projection screens. Yeah, could, that are good for doing for doing active camouflage. Absolutely, that's probably uh, probably the driving force here. And you know, like I say, I think it probably was quite a while in the making because we're talking about military contracts, and Truclear wants to get a military contract because there's lots of money in that. And they, you know, they just talked to the right people, and they somehow did it through to the stars because to the stars has some connections, and they know how to set this type of thing up. Right? Yeah, it's it's an interesting, I think, connection there that runs through this whole thing. That in the shadows is sort of this. So there's kind of two two points that I think get lost here. One of those is the idea or the, almost the kind of the, – the field of – the UFO field, quote-unquote, for whatever it is, wants to have its – wants to feel like or, or act like it has some kind of academic credentials or mm-hmm. that it has some kind of gravitas where they're looking at this stuff seriously. They're taking these things, you know, whatever. But one of the few fields that I think actually has some really interesting work being done in this kind of field is – kind of almost philosophy and futurology, right? Futurism in terms of these kind of ideas of, for example, do, you know, philosophically, ethically, do we want a company to be the people that control whether or not we get access to space? You know, do we think it would be good if to the stars Academy does get a warp drive or something, you know, whatever, do we think that is a good idea? (laughs) <laughs> that Tom DeLong decides whether or not your your people or company or whatever can also go into space because they own that piece of technology. Yeah. The ethical questions here, I think, are often ignored, but I think they're those are other those are other similar kind of things that I think serious people could look into and really consider here. And it's the same kind of questions that we've had for decades about Bob Bigelow. You know, he's got this gripe about NASA. Um, what does he call them? He says no access for space, no access for space anymore or something. He's got some crazy acronym acronym for what NASA stands for. Um, You know, but he's, he's got this idea that NASA is like this, this big monolith that's controlling who can go into space and who can't. And, you know, in interviews and things, it just sounds like he just wants it to be up to corporations, right? Who can actually get their way into space? It's a question that we haven't really worked out yet that we you know do we want that to be the case or not do we want corporations to control that um yeah yeah. i don't really see like a big problem with corporations having access to space i mean it's it's kind of like you know uh, who who controls airplanes now you know we eventually uh the technology becomes like uh quite universal it's not like one company is going to be able to keep it forever perhaps you know they have a patent but that yeah if a company uh, invents a warp drive or invents just you know space elevator or whatever, they're going to license that to everybody. It's not going to be something that they uh, they restrict access to space. I mean, why would they? 
And the, the reason we haven't got big corporations doing it now is there isn't really a very compelling uh, economic reason mm-hmm. for them to go into space. Well, uh, there's not, you know, if unless you're going up there and doing asteroid mining, then there's there's not a lot you can actually do up there. Uh, and it's very, very expensive and it's very, very dangerous and it requires a huge investment. So really, um, you know, governments are the only people who have, have the resources to do it or the, and the, the motivation to do it because, you know, it's, it's something beyond simply, simply monetary. Right. But eventually we will get, uh, we will get uh, industries doing it. Like we, we've already got, you know, the, the spaceship industry with SpaceX and uh, uh, Blue Origin uh, who who are building spaceships and you know Bigelow to a certain extent, so it's it's not like there there aren't any corporations being involved, but they they only exist because the government wants to go into space. <laughs> they're they're basically making spaceships to be paid by the government to use those spaceships. Right. So uh, until there's some compelling reason to go into space, which might be space tourism. Uh, there isn't going to be very much you know, interest from the corporations, and it isn't going to be a company like to the stars academy uh tom delong controlling it you know they're just a tiny little minute speck of a company when you compare them to people like boeing or, or lockheed martin or you know the actual big companies like even like uh spacex uh companies that actually have billions of dollars those are the ones who are actually going to uh, end up uh in you know Get, make, creating the technology to go into space. Absolutely. I guess I guess what I'm always interested in is what could be those compelling reasons to go into space, right? And one of yeah. them that I foresee or one of them that I think is, is interesting at least or con- interesting to consider would be – and I think it's part of a larger discussion that we're having generally with kind of, I guess, uh, making public access to resources, right? Is space – is access outside of earth in itself almost a resource? And what I mean by that is, you know, imagine, um, I mean, I don't know, imagine overpopulation, right? It it never gets corrected or imagine global warming gets so bad that, you know, um, the ecosystem Mm -hmm. is, is damaged in a way that's irreparable or makes living on the planet impossible. Or imagine just simply that it's, you know, I think that we're, I think that part of the, Part of the concern I have with a lot of this is that we are we are assuming that corporations will be benevolent, <laughs> right? And not to sound too conspiratorial or anything, right? But to me, uh-huh. all of this access to space—I mean, we're so far away from it in the first place. But I think it's an—I think it's an interesting discussion to have, at least, or an interesting as- avenue of this to consider. That if we ever did have a reason to want to access space outside of space tourism or exploration or mining or whatever, if there was ever a reason for humans to leave Earth, um, do we want there to be – do we want that to be up to even just say one government as opposed to – you know, it's just – I think mm-hmm. it's an interesting kind of general idea. Yeah, no, I, 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 I kind of agree that it should be like a – yeah, you know, essentially an open thing, but I think it will be. And the reason it isn't is just because it's so expensive. Right. It ha- yeah. You know the uh, you know the film Blade Runner. Yes. <laughs> uh, of course, you know the film Blade Runner. <laughs> that it was actually set uh, this month, November twenty nineteen. Oh yeah, now it's in the past. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's actually you know, and, and and on that film, there's there's big corporations, and then there's off world colonies, and the the big corporation controls access to the off world colonies and is exploiting them. But it's uh, it's actually quite cheap, I think, in the in the in the film to 
uh, going to space because they want workers in the off-world colonies. So it's uh, quite quite easy to <laughs> become a slave to the corporation yeah. and move to uh, yeah, yeah, the asteroid belt. Yeah. The, the, other, uh, the other part of it, too, that I think is kind of funny, and we made a joke about this on Twitter, was this idea that a species that is somehow – obtain the available you know as far as we can tell just from our current physics the only way that anything could travel through space you know you're limited by the speed of light right and even that mm-hmm. is a it's not like it's a speed limit you can ever really catch right um yes you can approach it. right but you know so the only other way that you could potentially travel say to another star system or something would seem to be to prolong life you know what I mean? So, you know, cryo freezing or whatever other kind of sci-fi things have happened. Um, but, you know, I think another interesting thought experiment here is a, a society that is developed to the point where they are able to travel through the stars um, would seem to be at least somewhat separated from those biological needs, right? For um, maybe not completely separated, but, you know, Imagine a mm-hmm. society that gets here that's able to travel through the stars, and the first thing that they meet up with is a corporation, right? You know, what is that conversation like? <laughs> you know, it's such a yes. funny and odd thing. I think to, I don't know. It's so weird to me that we we're putting a lot of people are putting their faith into this company that, you know, yeah, from the from the kind of sensible side or not sensible side, but you know, the, from the outside. Looking in, it seems ridiculous to think that to the Stars Academy, this four, you know, four to five person operation um, could ever bring about UFO disclosure and contact with extraterrestrials and whatever. But there are people on the inside who think that that's really going to happen. Yeah. And uh, I think people really kind of lack perspective. Yeah. People like, you know, UFO Jesus, lovely guy, but I think he really kind of narrows in his thinking on this idea that disclosure is imminent and people like Tom DeLong are just pushing it through or are part of this big government plot to bring out disclosure. And but if you really step back, step back away from this this whole idea and look at it from a, a broader perspective of what's actually going on in the world, nobody in power cares about UFOs. <laughs> Right. There's there's nothing at all going on in the the upper levels of government or any of the levels of government. Uh, You've got people in in government who are UFO fans, just like anywhere in any any walk of life. You can have people who like UFOs, like uh, Harry Reid. Yeah, Harry Reid was someone who was interested in UFOs, and so he ended up getting involved in like funding programs and stuff because he's like a big fan of UFOs. But he he had access to everything that's in government he he doesn't know anything uh you know he's on his deathbed now he's like you know dying of cancer he's not revealing any secrets right and if the, so yeah. kind of kind of indicates that there aren't any secrets right and if there were secrets to give well the other i saw a funny i saw a funny thing on twitter about this actually it was you know uh, just think about the monica lewinsky scandal in the united states right um that was a con, you know an act between two people that somehow leaked to the entire world. You know, that was a conspiracy of two people. Yeah. Forget a conspiracy of thousands. Two people, you know, couldn't keep this secret um, long enough to keep them from getting in trouble about it. So, yeah. It's a- yeah, and there's all, there's all these leaks that are coming out, like the WikiLeaks yes. thing, like huge amounts of government uh, information. There's the the cables uh, that were that were released, like, before that, uh, which is part of WikiLeaks, but uh, and Snowden. 
Yes, Snowden said he looked for UFOs and he couldn't find any evidence of, of UFOs, aliens or chemtrails or fake moon landings or anything like yeah, that. But, so <laughs> ev- everywhere, everywhere you look, like at the highest levels, people don't know. Like people ask like, you know, Donald Trump, if he you know, thinks there's something to it, he obviously like, you know, he could care less about it. He doesn't make fun of it because he knows that, uh, you know, he doesn't want to alienate, for want of a better word, some of his fans. Uh, but there really doesn't seem to be anything going on when you take a, a broader perspective. Yeah, it's it's the other, I guess, arguments are... I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. You know, even in cases where, you know, so when I, um, there was a UFO case here in the Twin Cities, you know, in Minnesota, that Mm. uh, a person came in and seemed really uh, personally affected by something that they were really upset. And it honestly, it, 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 their response to it made me question, you know, is there something going on there? This seems interesting. And then upon upon further investigation, it turns out that this individual is suffering from um, a a paranoid delusion, you know, Um, it's almost and, you know, that the feeling of talking to that person, having them. I don't know the in-person part of it, the part of hearing someone's story, I think that part is valuable and I think that that part is interesting and, you know, we wouldn't like you said Right on um, on Twitter, like you wouldn't be looking at this stuff if you didn't want it to be true or if you didn't hope and think it would be cool, right? Um, the problem is that yeah. the more you look or the more – the longer you spend investigating this stuff critically, the less and less it seems plausible or even, you know, uh, I don't know, not even possible, but the less and less evidence there appears to be over time. Yeah, it's like you're shining a light in all these places by investigating yeah. it. And you start out like, you know, you don't know what's out there. But the more the more light you shine upon the mystery, the less of a mystery it appears <laughs> yeah. to be. Like you figure out what these what these things actually are. Yeah, a lot of these a lot of these things like start out looking very mysterious and you've no idea what this particular video or whatever might be. And then you do some analysis. And you discover some things about it and you figure out it could be this or it could be that. And the mystery kind of drops away the more you study it. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I, we keep saying on, you know, we keep saying this and I've, I've said this on interviews that, you know, we give and things like that, that the, um, the last thing the UFO community wants is disclosure, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause then how are they going to sell DVDs and uh, books and stuff and crystals? <laughs> it's not what they want. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I was, I was, I made a similar comment about uh, 9-11 truth. Right. 
recently, like uh, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, this organization that's you know basically promoting this conspiracy theory that the Twin Towers were blown up. Uh, they've got this program now where they're asking NIST, uh, who did the investigation, to release the data that they used during the investigation that was withheld for some national security reasons. But they really don't want it to be released. <laughs> Because if it's released, it'll just be it'll just be shown to be just some boring data that it doesn't change anything. But the fact that it's being withheld, the fact that there is this this mystery, is what kind of allows them to keep uh, pressing this point. And it's a similar thing with 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 UFOs, like the fact that there are uh, secrets, like this these these three videos that came out recently. The Navy has said, like, yo, these are real videos of unidentified objects, and we've investigated them, or we are investigating them. But we're not going to tell you anything because it's necessarily uh, classified information. So you'll never find out what they are. So, you know, we've got classified information that's out there that we're never going to know. And that just creates this area of mystery. Whereas if the results of their investigation were revealed, it's probably just going to be something boring. Yeah. And that actually brings us to, I guess, the next big part of this. So you did a you did a pretty deep investigation into some of these videos. So you want, do you want yeah. to just quickly go over kind of your conclusions or what you found? Yeah, well, there's, you know, there's three videos. There's the, the Fleur video from the Nimitz uh, encounter. Then there's the two newer videos, the Go Fast mm-hmm. video and the Gimbal video. Now, the last two ones are you know, the, the much kind of better quality and they have audio. They're actually both from the same, uh, same, same plane on the same day. Uh, one of them shows what looks like something flying really fast, low over the water and the other one shows what looks like kind of a flying saucer that kind of flies over the clouds and then kind of turns and tilts in this really weird way and they, they look really interesting at first but the go fast one start off with that one uh to the stars academy right now on their website they say it is something flying very fast uh low over the water when if you actually do the math which isn't very complicated it's actually really simple math it's just like a you know Sign. I was going to say, yeah, it's relatively like simple trigonometry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the simplest trigonometry <laughs> you can actually do. Uh, literally, it is just sine equals opposite over hypotenuse. You can figure out that it's not actually low. It's actually at 13,000 feet. So it's actually like kind of halfway between the plane and the ocean, which means that its motion is almost entirely a parallax effect. And so the object itself isn't actually moving very fast. So you've got this video of something that looks like this amazing fast-moving object, which isn't really anything of the sort. It could, in fact, just be something like a balloon uh, just kind of drifting in the wind. Uh, but it, to the Stars Academy, who have been promoting this video and been putting it on these, these TV shows, they completely ignore this. They never actually address this, and they continue to like, you know, say, oh, look at this thing. It's moving at you know, two-thirds the speed of sound. When it's not, it's uh, it's it's just kind of floating there. The, yeah, um, the other what's funny. So I'm actually so I I uh, back before I had my current kind of job, my day job, I tutored uh, students in kind of all the way from you know I guess like high school uh, science and math all the way to like grad level math and uh, chemistry, mm-hmm. and so. Um, one of the we're now in the part of calculus, uh, AP calculus, where we're doing simple differential equations. You know, so we're looking at you know things like oh, a truck is moving um, at a certain you know a truck is moving and appears to move this fast, but you know essentially a parallax problem 
right? Um, <laughs> if you're a cop car sitting at this distance away from them, you draw the triangle and their angle seems to change at this much per second. Um, how far yeah. away do they have to be to be growing at this speed? You know, um, and it's actually funny. I didn't think I didn't put it together until just now, but I think the next session we do, we're going to be talking about uh, UFOs now, which is exciting. <laughs> but um, but yeah. anyways, the, it is you know I think part of the problem is that trigonometry. It's a lot harder to make a cool looking T-shirt out of trigonometry. That's just the challenge. <laughs> it is. You know, math's, math's yeah. forever challenge. Math is not cool looking. Yeah, most people don't understand uh, math and certainly not trigonometry. Yeah. So it ends up being this kind of argument from authority. Like someone is saying like, oh, well, we, we heard these experts on the Discovery Channel saying that it's moving really fast, but you're telling me that it's not. Like, who should I believe? You know, you're just some retired video game programmer. And these other guys were like, you know, whatever they were, former former test pilots or whatever, and they're saying it's moving fast. But if you can actually get someone to do the math, they can figure it out for themselves that it's not actually moving very fast at all. Right. Well, it's it is similar, I think, to the video of or part of the flat Earth argument, right? Which comes down to the same kind of thing, this kind of misunderstanding of the way yeah. that curves affect uh, height and things and whatever. And then when they actually do the experiment out, right, there's that famous uh, video from that Netflix documentary where he's looking, you know, he's looking through the pinholes and the light doesn't come through. And he's like, well, if it's if I can see the light, it means the earth is flat. But, you know, Tim, raise your raise your thing up a couple feet. And then he sees it. And the sound just, you know, is like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can see the cognitive dissonance start to eat in his brain. Yeah. Yeah. That that guy, I remember he went into this long discussion about how he discovered that there was this this amazing relationship between uh, the diameter of a circle and, and the circumference of a circle that he discovered. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he basically discovered uh, one over pi. Right. And, and somewhere- <laughs> instead of uh, instead of multiplying by pi, he divided by one over pi. And he thought this was this the most amazing thing. I've, he's discovered this secret number, whatever one over pi is. It's like you know point point uh, uh, three something. Yeah, or, uh, three point. Yeah, one four, <laughs> one five, whatever. Yeah. yeah, no, it's you know Pythagoras is is rolling in his. Uh, well, I don't know, grave, I guess. I feel like Pythagoras was probably given to the fire. But anyways, yeah, it's it's absolutely hilarious. This uh, It really does come down to, I think, in many cases, a, like you said, a misunderstanding of kind of the fundamental yeah. mathematics or science that go behind this thing. It's a challenge. Though. It's a challenge, like, how do you actually communicate these things to people who you can't teach them math? I mean, you, you, you teach people math and you know how long it takes for people to grasp certain concepts when they're actually really trying so the average person, uh, you know, they're not going to get things like sine equals opposite over hypotenuse because it's just, it's just, well, it's Greek yeah, to them. Well, it, it also though, I mean, it's a, it's a theme that we see commonly in this, the history of this field. You know, the claims of Bob Lazar disintegrate if you have more than a high school level mm-hmm. of chemistry knowledge. Um, yeah. Most people just, I think most people really overassume the level of competency it takes to make some of these claims. And that's really that appeal to authority you keep pointing to. And it's, it's hard to break that. Um, I actually had a funny, I had a friend the other day, Brent from hysteria 51, we were talking about this and I said something along the lines of, you know, people will believe anything someone in a lab coat says. And then Brent (laughs) was like, yeah, except if it's you. (laughs) And I got so upset. (laughs) I was like, Oh, you're right. Oh God. 
Well, they want the they want the alternative scientists to. to yes, they things. want so they, they want, want a scientist to, to counter the official narrative. Yeah, they want a scientist uh, to agree with them. Tell them that you know. Yeah, someone who tells them that aliens are real or that the Earth is uh, flat or that chemtrails yeah. are real. And there are people in lab coats who tell you that chemtrails are real. There's a PhD scientist uh, who actually publishes papers saying that chemtrails are real. If you look hard enough, you can generally always find someone who has some kind of air of authority who will agree with pretty much whatever uh, crazy thing you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's the 9 out of 10 dentists uh, problem, right? (laughs) You can never get that last one person to agree. Yeah, there's always one dentist who thinks you should brush your teeth with sugar. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Although I I want to agree with that dentist. So the um, (laughs) what where do you think where do you think this goes? Because one of the big problems that we've I don't know problems really one of the big frustrations we've encountered is pointing out the background or some of the wacky stuff that these people have been involved in or even just blatant errors, you know. The last season of Unidentified mm. ends with a case that is uh, there's a guy in jail in Sicily for the arsons that, <laughs> you know, were committed that these people were claiming was a UFO shooting a laser beam. Um, you know, I think they uh, if memory serves me correctly, they even have the guy on video setting some of the fires, you know, which is what right. ultimately let them arrest this person who was, you know, relatively high up in the corrupt town that this happened in. But anyways, all that seems to have happened is, you know, it's odd, right? So if I'll, I'll give you an example. We, in part of our series here, talking about, uh, talking about, say, the background of the people that Bigelow had on the NIDS team and that then continued on to, to the Stars Academy even, right? Like Hal Pudoff, looking at his background, all it's done is made the other stuff that he was involved with seem more likely to the people who believe him now. You know, so people mm-hmm. are just like, well, maybe the e-meter does work. You know, <laughs> like maybe it's great. Maybe I could remote view stuff from a distance. It's a th- part of that religiousness or part of that religious-esque thing where the person saying something, you know, wacky, the person saying something you would otherwise not agree with, because you have such strong belief in them, all it does is make you know, evidence, you're impervious to evidence, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it's going to be more of the same. You're asking like, what's going to happen next? I think it's going to be more of the same because you've got these very, very strong driving forces of things like the Discovery Channel yeah. shows where they're just, they're just interested in entertainment. Yeah. You know, they do these dramatic scenes where they put people in rooms with big, lots of computers and like have them look at each other while there's uh, orchestral hits. Da, da, da. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's kind of fun to watch and that type of thing will never go away. And the producers of those shows don't really care very much uh, about Some of facts. them are members of MUFON. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, some of them think that they're doing uh, doing the good work by, by promoting uh, things. But, you, you know, if you've ever been on shows like that, uh, you know that they, they edit your words and take them out of context. There's a documentary film coming up called um, Science Friction, which is all about how... Uh, TV producers basically take scientists' words and then edit them out of context to make it seem like they're saying something that they're not. And that's just just par for the course. They're just going to do that. And because it's all about entertainment, uh, you're going to have this this continuing force that's pushing 
the UFO movement along because you got people being on TV and promoting it in a misleading way. So you're never going to have this clarity. You, you need some kind of Mythbusters for UFOs TV show. Problem is, it's not going to be that interesting because the uh, people aren't really interested in the boring math underlying <laughs> these videos. They prefer it. To right. Be it's going to be. It's going to be. Uh... What's it? You know, it's going to be a bunch of nerds boringly saying, you know, Sokotoa, (laughs) right? And people aren't going to know what that is. And unless unless Sokotoa is a new, you know, site in Peru where we found alien skulls, no one wants to know about it. (laughs) Um, Yes, it's it's hard to make uh, debunking sexy. Well, and and that actually brings me to another point or another thing that we've kind of been talking about on Twitter a lot, which is, you know, there are these big. UFO groups, you know, and like you said, this is almost, you know, two stars Academy is almost like a super group. It's, um, you know, what was that? What was that band that formed after like guns and roses died? They, you know, they brought like slash mm. and a bunch of other, you know, it was random, just random rock stars merged together. Uh, but anyways, you know, it is a super group. Um, the skeptical side though, is very fractured. <laughs> you know, it's just not no, a lot if there, there, if really. there was a, you know, if there was like a skeptical society for us to join and go to meetings for, I, I would go, you know. Um, well, there are, but the skeptics, you know, they, they cast a yes. wide net. If you look at skeptic societies like uh, the CSI, the C- Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, they do a lot of stuff like uh, the paranormal and alternative medicine and, uh, you know, seances and spirits, uh, and they do a little bit of UFOs as well. But there isn't really like an organization that's you know debunking UFOs. I mean, there isn't really a need for it. You, you get a few people doing it. You know, why? Why am I like one of the main guys debunking UFO videos? Like, I'm a guy who who was basically doing chemtrails uh, for, for a long time, and then did a bit of 9/11, and then you know I did some UFO stuff because it was kind of interesting. But yeah, it doesn't take very much. Uh, to to debunk these videos, to investigate them and look at them. Uh, I guess it's kind of why there isn't actually a big organization doing it because there isn't really a sure. need uh, for it. Yeah, which makes it hard. Which makes it hard, though. I think for the public, you know, I, like I often see, I, I often hear, um, you know, like ancient aliens. Right, their viewership numbers are taken as some sign that this is really penetrating the public's mm-hmm. consciousness. Whereas, you know. I watch ancient aliens cause it is hilarious. <laughs> you know, it is, it is frustrating and it is annoying, but it's also absolutely hilarious. And you know, yeah. my wife and I watch it and we laugh our butts off and I, yeah. that's the way I, that's the way I watch uh, it with friends, you know, these leaps of logic. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of an interesting, it it's be? an interesting thing, you know, and, and that was even that it came out around the time of the area 51, you know, raid quote unquote, that, you know, people like mm. um, people were out there on Twitter saying, you know, well, this just shows that people are really interested in UFOs. And then, you know, you read the comments on the Facebook page and stuff, and it's all people being like, I'm going to get me an alien girlfriend. And I'm, <laughs> you know, I don't think they're taking yeah. <laughs> it seriously. I, I think uh, people think that this is ludicrous to the point of it being fun. Yeah, it's just fun. It's like it's memes that have kind of entered into real life. People doing like LARPing and like just having fun with, uh, yeah, with an idea. Cool. Yeah, the, the people who went there, only a very small, if any, contingent of people were like seriously into it. 
And the people who were who were serious were kind of going to observe the other people. Like uh, Nick Pope went there, but Nick Pope was there not to like, you know, <laughs> release the aliens. He was there to look at the people who were uh, who were wanting to release the <laughs> right, aliens. Right, figure out what's going on. It, it's um, I don't know. It's a yeah. fascinating. It's a fascinating uh, time period. I think, and honestly, I so from my perspective, one of the most interesting things I think is going to be looking at how the people that took to the stars Academy serious at the beginning, you know, even some of the journalists that are more serious mm-hmm. than say some of the Bigelow kind of, you know, regulars, um, those serious journalists, I think it's going to be really interesting when nothing, you know, I suspect nothing will pan out from any of this, you know, how long is too long? <laughs> how long how long is it okay yeah. for you to say well no just wait we're going to disclose something soon well that's why you need to make people put uh, like your yeah. deadline on things and that's why i like uh, doing these bets with people these long-term bets like i did with ufo jesus i bet him you know in five years time that no world leader will you know admit that ufos are real which i think was his idea of formulating the bet but now I can come back to him in, uh, it's like four years now because we made the bet about a year ago. And I have it on my Google calendar, so I won't <laughs> forget it. Uh, so I, I will get a reminder. And you, you can do this and you, w- you will actually eventually be able to like hold this over people and say, this is exactly what you predicted five years ago. None of it has come to pass. How does that yeah. make you feel? Well, it's, it reminds me of, I've only ever made one of these kinds of bets in my kind of time doing this so far. And it was on a, um, it's on a radio show I do fairly regularly. I do it. Uh, we do once a month. We we call it Reality Paranormal, where it's me and another guy who are more, um, I guess, skeptical. And we kind of go on and we, you know, throw uh, throw throw water on the flames of <laughs> of hmm. paranormalness and UFOs and whatever that this guy Dave Scott kind of normally feeds. And um, you know, I said my wife and I have a. Uh, my wife and I, similar to Houdini and his wife, we have a secret code word right. for if one of us dies, the other one will know that we're a ghost. And, you know, I think I bet like $100 or something that if a psychic can tell me what those words are, not only will I give them $100, but I'll also promote them as a real psychic. Um, no one's gotten it since. <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, it's very, it gives you that kind of feeling of like uh, James Randi, you know, going on to these talks yeah. with homeopaths and, eating all their pills and being like, nothing's going to happen to me. (laughs) This is sugar. (laughs) It's amazing. But yeah, I think things like that, you know, you do things like that where it obviously essentially proves that this is all complete nonsense. And yet the nonsense still persists. It's, uh, it's very hard to get traction on these things and get your, get your fingers into them and actually drag people away from the nonsense. It's a, it's a constant problem. It's something I think about a lot. How do you actually, uh, well, it started to also, I think, I mean, well, I think it has started to more significantly affect the real quote unquote world, you know, um, look at, you know, uh, yeah. what's happening in the politics of the West right now, or look at what's happening with just kind of science denialism, you know, anti-vaxxers and climate change deniers and, uh, chemtrails and, you know, all these other things, um, that are now starting to leak into the public discourse. And we're starting to have politicians who believe these things. And, you know, it's always been a part of kind of Western uh, intellectualism. I think this streak of anti-intellectualism that 
forms as a counter to that. But it feels like, at least, that it's gotten stronger. It's gotten worse. The internet has made it worse. It has, yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, Trump has made it worse as well, I think, with the constant uh, railing against the, mm-hmm. the media, uh, like saying things are fake news. If eventually people, you know, they start believing that if they didn't believe it already. And now you're getting situations where, uh, like there was a county library in Florida a couple of days ago, just canceled its subscription to the New York Times because it was fake news. So now you've got like public libraries uh, kind of censoring the news because they think that, you know, it's not favorable to the president or whatever. So you're getting this, this very, very strong mainstreaming of belief uh, that there is, you know, some kind of distrustful intellectual elite that's trying to pull one over you, and I think it's, uh, you know, things like UFOs are not helping that. You know, the, the the UFOlogy and conspiracy theories around UFOlogy, you know, just looking at things in the sky is fine, but the conspiracy theories, uh, you know, create an atmosphere which promotes more things like that, and I think it's ultimately quite harmful yeah. to society. No, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree, man. Well, Mick, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, as always, it's a pleasure, you know, it's nice to, uh, nice to get your feedback here in this stuff. Nice to hear what you're thinking listeners. If you enjoyed this interview, I totally, I seriously cannot suggest enough, uh, tales from the rabbit hole. Go check it out. It's a great podcast. Very, very interesting guests. Um, I'm, I can't wait for the next episode. I think it's going to be great. So, uh, Mick, anything else you want people to think about or kind of go check out before, uh, we end the show here? Oh, I also have a book called uh, Escaping the Rabbit Hole, which is about kind of how to talk to people who believe in conspiracy theories. A challenge, but, you know, I have a few ideas. So if you're interested in that, then, uh, you know, it's kind of accompanies the yeah, podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Go check it out. It's um, it's actually funny. It's on my uh, buy later list. <laughs> my wife and I are we're, we're metering. We're trying to meter our, like, spending on fun stuff. Right. So, you know, we yes. have, um, yeah, my fun money – Unfortunately, uh, what's it? there were a lot of video games that came out the last two months, <laughs> but it's on my list. Listeners, I'm it's telling you, man. Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> got to have our priorities. All right. Uh, listeners, thanks again for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. We'll be back again next week with another episode. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at madscientistpod or at teamgiantsquid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. We love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. 
As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.